This podcast represents my opinion and the opinion of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I am not establishing a patient-physician relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions you may have. I'm back with you for another episode of the Not Your Doc podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Charles Tadros. Howdy. Hey. Um, And we have our, uh, I guess I was the first interview on this pod, so we have our second interview guest with us today. Um, And that is our wonderful producer, Seth Gabriel. How are you doing today, Seth? I'm doing great. Good. This is awesome. I'm usually tucked away in this corner, just know, right? quiet and taking my notes. Now I got a microphone. I get yes. to talk. You're in the it's hot exciting. seat now. You're in the oh hot gosh, seat now. I can feel the pressure. It's like you two sitting on that side of the table, and I'm over here just to paint a picture for everybody. So I've, it's like an interrogation. Yes, that's, exa- right. that's exactly what it but is. But instead of turning the heat up in here, you turn it way down. It's, right. it's a little bit chilly. It's, <laughs> you could store meat in here. <laughs> I had to put my jacket back on. No, it's nice. It's actually pretty comfortable. So Dr. Tadros and I were talking about our approach today, and it's going to be a lot like an interrogation. He's going to ask the questions, and I'm going to be paying attention to your body language so we don't miss anything. There's no good cop? No. Just too bad. Switch off. We're both trying to catch you. Too bad. You get two bad cops. That's right. Bad bad and worse. um, (laughs) Bad cop, worse cop. Seth, you are the owner and founder of Benton Park Media, which is a multimedia production and marketing firm here in St. Louis. When did you open that company? Oh, well, technically it's been about a year and a half, and I really like the term firm. I sound like uh-huh. it's really huge. It's a little bit bigger than this dining room you know, right now. Hey, no. <laughs> it works. But, but no, I do videography, graphic design. I'll work with anybody from small business to local entertainers, you know, musicians, podcasters, mm-hmm. people like that, local comedians. I've done a little work for here and there. There, so it's awesome. Yeah. So it's been about a year and a half. Um, and it got off to an incredibly slow start. Yeah. But I'm working now with uh, my business partner from Outlaw Film, Seth Ferrante. He was the producer of White Boy, the documentary on Netflix. Cool. Yeah, yeah. he's got like 25 books published now. He's working wow. on other films. So he kind of threw me a life preserver and said, let's team up. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, ever since then... Um, Things have been going great, and I'm a little uh, overwhelmed a little these overwhelmed. days, but I'm handling it. I'm handling it. I like it. It keeps me busy, you know? Yeah. I'm a single guy in the city just doing what I love. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, Seth, uh, we, yeah, so obviously we know you through Benton Park Media, which is Benton Park Studios originally. You are mm-hmm. currently rebranding yes. and about to launch a new website for yes. Benton Park Media, so people can uh, look forward to that soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you why. Uh, Benton Park Studios is what I the original name you can mm-hmm. still find that on facebook then i found out there's a benton park studio of a guy in his apartment that just like paints fruit or something Aww. and i'm sure it's great but he's got like he's got the, the google LLC, he, he's oh, got the google the um the google uh, analytics and, and, ah. and seo on his side so if you look try to find me you'll probably find him even if you don't even if you type art. the fruit basket art <laughs> i don't want to accidentally take credit for anybody's fruit basket art right that's sure. true that's yeah. true so, I mean, uh, for the fruit basket artists to get credit for your work too so it's it's vice versa. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we can team up on on something, but we will be on the lookout for Benton Park Media November December time frame, which is pretty much now coming right up. All right, that's awesome. 
Um, we, one of the reasons that, uh, well, actually you volunteered, but at the time when our listeners are going to be hearing this episode, it's going to be the week of veterans day. Right. Um, and you were actually a sergeant in the army. You were a cavalry scout, um, and you worked on reconnaissance Mm -hmm. and have been deployed. So we're going to hear a lot about your experience and story today. Okay. And we're really looking forward to that. And we thank you so much for your openness to come talk to us. And after hearing you, um, give your story, I'm like, (laughs) Like, oh, you know, I don't, I think, uh, you know, I'll tell mine. It it helped encourage me because I've, I've very rarely have talked about military outside of just like close friends, counselors and family and stuff like that. Interesting. Well, we feel really privileged that you're, you're willing to share some of that stuff with us today. It's a privilege to be here. Okay. Well, at this point, I'm going to kick it over to Dr. Tadros, who is obviously the interviewer extraordinaire, and I'll get to work uh, monitoring your respirations and okay. see if you start sweating profusely at any point. No, I'm just kidding. No, we're we're Vanessa, here to listen to you and learn from you. Shaky. Thank you again. <laughs> Thank you. Vanessa, Vanessa is the the real interviewer here. Um, she'll give me hand signals of what I'm, <laughs> I'm what I'm saying and not saying. Seth, you and I talked uh, uh, just to kind of figure out the arc of your story. And um, as a physician, I, I see things differently than other people. So I tend to delve in childhood and stuff like that. But I think you and I talked about uh, how uh, a little bit about you want to express how childhood and, and how you ended up in the military and your experiences, not just your own, but some of your friends and what you saw um, in terms of your friends. And we're kind of keeping it uh, uh, um medical and 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 uh and personal mm-hmm. um and although we can take it a bunch of different ways i wanted to hear about you and how you got here to so that you could be our producer you know you're yeah, able okay. to all your experiences that led you to be, be you know owner of a business so take it away awesome well let me tell you a story about the day uh, me and my good friend uh nathan went out for some pizza you want to hear that yeah, i want to hear that story. oh that's, I a, love that's a good pizza that's story. a great so you're like oh this guy's gonna tell some riveting stuff and it's like <laughs> well me and my buddy nate we're gonna go get pizza first let me paint you a picture i'm about 19 20 years old at the time shaggy haired hat kicked to the side skater kid mm-hmm. um post high school graduate barely um <laughs> I, when i showed up to class i did great i just hated school so mm-hmm. you know there was that uh my civic had broken down i was working in different restaurants i was driving around in my dad's ford ranger because, what city is this in uh jacksonville illinois okay so we're up by springfield illinois right, cool. we're just about a little over an hour north of uh st louis city yeah so um that's where i grew up um and that's the kind of town where um I really want it out. There's not much to do. There's bars, mm-hmm. there's warehouses, there's liquor stores, there's uh, uh, drugs, if you're into that. <laughs> Let's just face it. Uh, but there's nice parts of the town, too, of course. Sure. Um, it's maybe just under 30,000, I think. Yeah. And it's near, uh, like I said, the capital, Springfield, mm-hmm. Illinois. So it's got its ups and downs. But I was mainly focused on just uh, the downs and wanting to get out of there and starting some kind of life for myself. But I was completely... Uh, I guess you can say lost. I wasn't like, oh, I'm so lost, but I didn't know at the time, right. I guess, that I, I felt that way. Um, mm-hmm. And so me and my buddy, Nate, we're uh, skaters and we're going out one day. We're like, let's hit the pizza buffet because, you know, that's a lot of bang for your buck. When yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> we can put it away. Right. Eight, eight bucks and you can Do eat all you want. a pizza buffet. Yeah. Right. So uh, we're thinking it's between Godfathers and Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. Not a huge fan of either one. Uh, so it's like the lesser two evil. They're not sponsoring the show, are they? No. Not so, yet. Okay. Not so, yet. Okay, not yeah. anymore, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> They're both great. Uh, but um, so we settled on Pizza Hut and we drive in. We park. 
we get out of my dad's Ford Ranger and we're getting ready to walk inside and it hits me and I'm just, I stop and I go, let's go to Godfather's. And Nate's like, man, we're already here, Hmm. whatever. I'm like, let's just go to Godfather's. It's right down the street. I have no idea why. I don't even like Godfather's. (laughs) I mean, it's great, but I don't like it. (laughs) So we get in my, uh, the Ford Ranger and we drive down and we go to Godfather's. We eat. It's you know what you pay for whatever it's 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 decent i guess um so we um we step out of godfather's after Mm -hmm. that weird experience where i just felt the need to go there instead when we were already parked at the pizza hut and outside's an army recruiter Mm. and he's like kind of waving at us and nate's like man these guys there was two of them and we already knew they were going to come up and give us the whole spiel i'm like oh yeah and at the time my brother was in the army he'd been in the army for just under two years now so i kind of used that to kind of like well my brother's already in and my parents are freaking out because he's going to deploy so Mm -hmm. i'm just kind of my interest is to stay home and Mm -hmm. and he's the recruiter of course i got to answer for everything right and he's like well you know there's Jobs where, you know, you don't have to get shot at, anything like that. And, and it's going to open uh, great career possibilities, uh, great opportunities, things like that. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, cool, whatever. Huh? And then we finally get away from more like, yeah, farthest thing from what I want to do. Mm. And then it just kind of hit me. Uh, one night when I was at the pasta house filling up tubs of ice with an apron on. And well. all these, all these nice, nicely dressed people out to dinner just kind of looking at me. And I'm like this isn't me. Mm. And it hit me. I go, you know, I just had that feeling, you know, like ever since we were about to walk in that pizza hut and I was like, I gotta go talk to that recruiter. Mm -hmm. So I ended up uh, working with a recruiter and I made the decision and finally told my parents, I was like, I'm going to join the army. And they're like, Oh, great. My mom's already losing sleep Mm because my brother's getting ready to deploy. And and now they got another son that wants to join. What year was this about? This would have been the spring of 2006. Okay. And your yeah. brother was going to deploy where? Or deploy? Uh, he was getting ready to deploy to Iraq. I got you. So he was an infantryman. He's 11 Bravo. Wow. Yeah. He was a grunt. Mm. So um, I went, I said, I want to be a medic. I loved the guy in Saving Private Ryan, yeah. that medic. <laughs> He's awesome. I wanted Everybody to be like him. Them. My mom's a nurse. Yeah. Um, you know, I was raised by a nurse. I have family that were medics in Vietnam. Right. Uh, we were told as children, you don't ever ask them about military. You don't say Vietnam around them. Right. Like, don't ever do that. Yeah. <laughs> They're fine. Just don't ever bring anything up. Right. Uh, you know, they had a pretty rough, rough time Absolutely. in Vietnam, especially, you know, well, I wouldn't say especially as medics because, you know, PTSD and things like that don't discriminate. Absolutely. Um, right. but, but they yeah, the medics, saw a tremendous amount of trauma. The medics definitely have, have a tough time, uh, during the deployment and afterwards. Um, so I didn't score high enough to be a medic mm-hmm. on my test. I was a few points off. Mm. And uh, my recruiter was a cavalry scout. And I said, well, what the heck is that? Yeah. So he's like, well, let me show you. And he shows me the cool video of the guys with their faces painted and they're sneaking through the woods. And he's like, you know, you're the eyes on the battlefield. You're the eyes and ears. You go out there. It's reconnaissance. You're, I'm like, like oh, I'm a spy. I'm like an mm. operative. It's like special forces kind of thing, but yeah. it's not. It's very mild compared to special forces, but it is a very tough and grueling uh MOS, which for those who uh, are yeah, help unfamiliar, us out with the acronyms, uh, military occupational specialty, your job, right. mm-hmm. it's yeah. your job. What's your job in the military? Some right. people say, what's your job or what's your MOS? It's the same question. So I was a cavalry scout and I was, I was hooked on that idea and I told everyone and I was like, mm-hmm. I can't wait. I'm going to go train. Um, I was so nervous about the training. I forgot that there were two wars going on that I could yeah, possibly go to. Wow. So, uh, and everybody, my parents, my brother even called me from Fort Riley. He's like, uh, 
I heard you want to be a scout. <laughs> He's like, are you sure? Yeah. I go, I'm, I'm hundred percent it. I got no kids, no, not a real, any real job right. I care about. No direction. Uh, I knew already I wanted to get into like media, yeah. radio, television thing and work behind the scenes. Ah, you know, where'd you, where'd you get that sense that you wanted media? Oh, wow. That goes all the way back to when my dad had one of those giant 1980s, early 90s Best Buy camcorders. Yeah. And me and my brother used to get it out and film just whatever. Sure. We made movies with our action figures. I drew my own comic books. I If I didn't like album art for an album, I'd draw my own. I love like, it. Like, this would be better. Yeah. You know? And I just <laughs> always, you know, was drawn to creation, creating stuff like that Very for cool. people to see visual art. And people think cavalry are horses. So modern cavalry is what? You, oh, wow, you could be uh, walking. Uh, you could come in a Black Hawk helicopter. You could be on a Bradley, which a lot of people look at that. A civilian look at a Bradley and like, oh, that's a tank. Right. Oh, okay. Essentially a tank, but, it, you know, it's an armored vehicle. Gotcha. Uh, I was on a Humvee a lot. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, pretty much anything but a horse. All right. One guy in basic training uh, was upset. He literally thought we were going to get to ride around on horses. Oh, man. He was bummed to find out oh, that no. it's kind of an antiquated way to get yeah, around right. as a soldier these oh, days. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was my experience. Just born and, in the wrong century, man. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. So your, so your brother didn't try to talk you out of it. Uh, he just, everybody wanted to make sure I was a hundred percent sure gotcha. that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I just kept saying, yeah, I, it's too late to say no. I didn't have <laughs> it in me to say never mind Cause mm. you know, I had a friend tell me like, that's a suicide mission. But mm. Good luck. <laughs> and then wow. came to the uh, day where, um, we were ready to, uh, ship out finally. Yeah. I was put on, um, I forgot the name of the list. They have names for everything. But I was on the list of people who, like, because of my MOS that I'd chosen, nobody's ready to take that in yet. So you're just basically going to be working with a recruiter. Uh, jog. Don't do any drugs or smoke any weed. Right. Take care of yourself. Study the handouts they give you. And then in September 2006, uh, my mom knocked on my door and said, it's time to go. And I woke up and went to the bathroom and just threw up. Wow. Could barely function. I was so nervous. Yeah. And my brother was home at the time because he was on his pre-deployment leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was home. Wow. And we had a big cookout and a party for both of us because yeah. I was shipping to basic. He's shipping to Iraq. Yeah. And he's knocking on the bathroom door. He goes, dude, if you're this nervous, just don't go. He goes, this is the last opportunity to say no. And I was like sitting there like, oh, I'm going to go. So I grabbed my bag and uh, left. <laughs> my parents took me to the recruiter station to get on a shuttle. Mm -hmm. To take me to St. Louis, to take me to uh, Meps, and then to Lambert, yeah. and then to Kentucky, Fort Knox. Wow. Mm -hmm. Fort Knox, Kentucky. Did you have friends go with you, or other people? Uh, if, no, I was just 100% alone. Mm -hmm. yeah, so. First time doing something this big all alone? Oh, yeah. First yeah. time being on a plane alone. Mm. First time being that far away. The farthest... I'd ever been away from home is the hour and 20 minute drive to St. Louis. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I got my license. Everybody would like to go down to St. Louis and hang out, right. get into trouble. So yeah, it's definitely, that, that was, uh, the first big leap was just getting up and going. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. What do you think gave you the fortitude to do that? I don't know. Yeah. I, it was weird. It yeah. was weird. It's just like, I felt like I was running away. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty it's like, but you want to, you want to get out of your town. You the alternative was worse in some way, like staying and. The alternative was kind of like 
it's almost the same thing. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen to me if I stay here. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to have what's going to happen to me if I go either. Yeah. But I was like, it definitely, it just felt right. Hmm. It just definitely felt like it's an opportunity. I wanted to go to college and do things, but yeah. I just, I didn't even know how to go to college. It's like, how do you just go to college? Yeah. People are like, I applied for here and got accepted to this and did this and did, and I got this many points for the. I'm like, I don't understand that at all. Yeah. They're like, once I get done with my bachelor point five, I'll work on my degree for my associate point seven. And I'm like, I don't know what college is. Yeah. But I, I don't. <laughs> you said your mom. Your mom was a nurse, and your brother was older than you then. Uh, he is a couple of years older than me. He's yep. a year and eleven months older than me. And you have other siblings. Uh, my sister is in her mid forties. Okay. So, Back then, yeah. she was uh, she's a youngest. little bit older. Uh, you're the youngest of mm-hmm. three then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was that. Uh, let's see. And then, of course, basic training starts. And um, trying to think here. Um, basic training. Do you have any specific questions about that? I could just. <laughs> it's a, it's a, is, is it six weeks or is it how many? How many? I, I went for 18 weeks. Okay. I did nine, nine weeks of basic training. And um, it's called OSUT. It's, it's an acronym for everything go. in the military. Yeah, right. One station unit training. So instead of going to uh-huh. AIT uh, after basic, which I forgot what AIT <laughs> stood for, advanced individual training. Okay, there we go. Is what it is. Right. You do OSUT. You just do, instead of nine Run. and nine, you do 18 all, weeks of, all of mm-hmm. essentially basic training goes right into scout school. Mm-hmm. Right. And scout school is, and you know, we've talked on this podcast before about sleep deprivation, things like that a little sure. bit. I yes. mean, that's, it's crazy. Um, you're either in a classroom or you're in the wilderness, very little sleep, um, lots of ruck marching, lots of, wow, there's so many things that go through my head from being at Fort Knox. And then of course, dealing with the drill sergeants. Mm -hmm. I mean, day one, you get off a bus and you just have people screaming at you and you're kind of pumped. Like, wow, this is, this is real. Like you've seen this in movies, you've kind of pictured it or seen on TV, Mm -hmm. or maybe you've seen actual footage of basic, but when you're there, it's just like your heart's pumping and they're yelling at you. And, um, yeah, the first thing they do is they roll, you get on a bus and they take you, get your head shaved. You get all your shots, you get tons of shots. You, mm-hmm. you stand in line and they just jab you with vaccines and different things, wow. immunizations in both arms. There's a nurse on each side, just jabbing you. And they're like, go next. And then wow. jab, 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 jab. Here's your paper. Go next. And wow. one guy getting jabbed of course passes out smash right. blood goes everywhere back of his head cracked open oh, and i'm like wow i'm already seeing uh we we are like i'm still waiting in line to get my head shaved it's already getting out of control so it's wow. it's very grueling very stressful and um and that's that's what they do that's the idea is to break you down mentally break you down physically because they don't like who you are you can't come mm. off the street and be a soldier you have to be nothing first and then mm. they turn you into a soldier so the psychology behind it uh, it kind of works that way. They need to break you down into nothing. And now I guess they've really softened it up. I'm not going to repeat any of the language. The drill sergeants mm-hmm. would scream in your face one or two or three at a time, uh, anything like that. And I do remember, I'll go ahead and tell you, when we first got off the bus, when we go to meet our drill sergeants, bus comes to a stop, door flies open, sergeant comes on, he goes, get the off this bus now and everybody just jumps up and you're like oh it's starting so you grab all your duffel bags and you're getting off the bus as fast as you can and people are knocking each other down you get out and you you line up and like put your gear down right and you get all your duffel bags Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you put them on you line them all out and then you go to stand in front of them and then there's these drill sergeants that are just like 
wax sculptures. Mm. Like you feel like you go wave at them and mm -hmm. they're just standing there completely motionless and, mm -hmm. and emotionless. And the captain, he's a, he gives you a little speech, welcome to Fort Knox or and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes on a history of this and that. And everybody, I don't remember what he said. And the whole time I'm sitting there like, this is completely crazy. I can't yeah. believe I actually knew right. this. So I'm sure he, whatever you said was great, very riveting. Um, so, <laughs> and then he said, okay, well, we're going to get started now. Drill sergeants, they're all yours. Take over. And they just come storming. They come to life and just come running at you screaming. Wow. And they're just yelling in your face. They said, you got 20 seconds to get lined up in alphabetical order. Go. And we had to, we're, everybody, you don't know anybody. Right. So we're looking at each other's name tags. Like, okay, yeah. A's, get over here. B's, next. And, and we're just like trying to do this and get our duffel bags. And they start blowing whistles like, time's up. And they, everybody, of course, failed. So you have to get down. And you start doing push-ups. And they're yelling at you while you're doing that. And I pop up and... Okay, you're not supposed to look at a drill sergeant, but no one tells you this, and there's not like a handout or any signs. Yeah. Uh, so I look at a drill sergeant. We make good eye contact. And, uh, oh, boy. He looks at me, and pardon my French, he goes, oh, I'm sorry, did I, your sister? <laughs> and I said, uh, I don't believe so. That's Seth's response. <laughs> you're in conversation with a drill sergeant. And then he comes up and gets nose to nose, like, can I kick my ass? <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> he goes, you keep your eyes forward or I'll gouge them out. You don't ever look at a drill sergeant. Wow. And I was like, noted. <laughs> it's wow. like, and I was sitting there like, I left home for this. Yeah. I want to be back at yeah. the. Right. I, I want to be back at the pasta house oh, filling God those fathers. ice. <laughs> those ice bins at pasta house aren't bad at all. Right. I wish I was still there. But, wow. Um, so uh, and then basic training goes on, and I could give you a whole three hours about basic I'm training, sure. but it's rough. Uh, drill sergeant Bowman, drill sergeant Stewart, they were our platoon mm. uh, drill sergeants. How many people in a platoon? Thirty ish. Yeah, early thirties, thirty-two ish. I think it's usually what they Did you become with. close with all those people? Yeah, it was interesting because for a while you have these long days where you're just getting yelled at and doing everything, you know, real fast. You know, run upstairs, make your bunk, run downstairs, meet here. You mm -hmm. got classrooms to go through. You got still got paperwork to fill out. We got to go down, do PT. You got to meet at the pull-up bars and do your pull-ups. You got to make sure you got to stand in line to make sure you've been shaved as the drill sergeants walk mm -hmm. up and down. Mm -hmm. They inspect your lockers. If your socks aren't folded just right, they dump your drawer out. And wow. Of course, push-ups are incorporated into everything. So, yeah, I was in pretty good shape mm -hmm. right off the right. bat, right? <laughs> About a week, I'd done a couple thousand push-ups, I think. So, um, they, this bonds you together with your with your platoon mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then at night, you finally get a chance to sit and you introduce what's your name, what's your you know first right. name because we only know each other. We're all these guys with shaved heads in the same uniform, and our wow. last name wow. is who we are. And we get to talk. You know, I'm from you know I'm from New York. I'm from mm -hmm. Alabama, and, and and you know it's funny the New Yorkers and the Alabama guys are talking. They both have accents and. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's just great to see, uh, you know, and if people are talking about their girlfriends or jobs back home. Yeah. So, right. you know, there was that opportunity to bond every day. And, you know, when the drill sergeants would finally go home to their wives and it was their turn to be yelled at. And then their wives, would, <laughs> their wives would make them mad and send them back to us at five in the morning to wake us up. And they're just full of new energy to yell at someone else. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Light, <laughs> lights go on. And next thing you know, people are blowing whistles and screaming. So you got to yeah. get up again. And the stress, uh, I'll tell you other things we saw in basic training. Um, the stress really gets to people uh, like you know, this is primarily a mental health show. Sure. And I know you could probably do a whole yeah. uh, podcast just on what the training right. uh, does sure to people. One night, um, we had a 
came into our bunk and there was a guy laying in bed crying. And we're like, what's, what's wrong with him? He's like, well, he's sitting on the edge of his bed, like bent over crying. And he had, um, what he had done is he took the uh, metal clip on his pin mm-hmm. and he broke it off and sharpened it and cut his wrist and just gouged away at his wrist. And it was blood all over the floor, mm-hmm. like a small puddle of blood in front of him. So we went and got the drill sergeant and, uh, he took him away and I'm, I'm, I hope he's okay to this day. We never heard or saw anything wow. about him. I mean, yeah. it's just, hey, you're done now. You got to go once you get to that point. And then there were the, uh, quote, suicide attempts for from guys who just wanted a ticket home, like the guy who mm-hmm. tried to drown himself in a mop bucket. And he wasn't actually trying to die. He was just, mm-hmm. and he was just trying to get his ticket home. Wow. But, but then, of course, there were the serious uh, things, like I had mentioned. And one guy in another platoon, I hadn't seen it, but. Um, he actually came up with the idea. We had these floor buffers, you know, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what you do at night when you're on Firewatch is you buff floors. Okay. And you, of course, every day they inspect the floors and you have to strip them and buff them again every single day. Oh. I don't know what I, yeah. I watch Karate Kid. I don't know what all these chores are supposed <laughs> to do, but we are constantly cleaning sinks and toilets, rifles, boots, and buffing the floor. Mm-hmm. They, those things got to be tip-top shape mm-hmm. wow. so he took the floor buffer and he and this guy tied the power cable around his neck mm-hmm. the idea was he jumps out of the third story window buffer catches the frame of the window and he hangs mm-hmm. uh but he didn't like um you know do the math on his body weight versus how much uh, the cord yeah good <laughs> so home. he just sure. just pulled out and landed on the ground yeah he just wow. jumped and just hit the ground wow. so and that, and then of course that guy goes home. And then of course there were some injuries too. But yeah. the platoon got a little smaller. And then finally, uh, February of two thousand seven, the first week of February is graduation week, mm-hmm. and we finally graduated from scout school and uh, got to see our families again yeah. and go home for a little bit. And then off to Fort Riley, Kansas, where my brother happened to be stationed. He was in Iraq at the time, but he was coming home right. mm-hmm. to Fort Riley. So I got to. Yeah. Uh, basically surprised him when he came home from Iraq. I was like, hey, I'm stationed here. Yeah. So that was cool for him. That's cool. So you Did, weren't, you, go ahead. I, I was just going to ask like your, so it seems like your options and basic were just to like, put like just deal with it or try to kill yourself in order to get a ticket home. I mean, like there, there wasn't really any in between where like if you were struggling emotionally or mentally, they could give you support or something to help you get through it. It was just like, there's a chaplain. You did it all the way through or you'd see Uh a chaplain. You can, you can go see the chaplain if you'd like to. And then you can go to church. We went to church on Sundays because a lot Mm -hmm. of guys were like, I've never been to church before, but drill sergeants don't go to the church yeah okay, so it's drill sergeant free. free yeah sundays were great you got you know for sundays like a free day you clean yeah. uh mm-hmm. we jog in the morning and it was a pretty simple day there's only one drill sergeant one one or two drill sergeants on duty that day mm-hmm. and then of course you got to go to church and i think i think lights out was like an hour earlier on sundays maybe mm. if i remember correctly so sundays were like the best day uh, the other six were awful. Um, <laughs> Did you feel accomplished? I mean, uh, you know, they, they, they load you up with a lot of information, a lot of practical stuff that you have to do physically. Did you feel? Uh, I, I honestly um, expected a lot more out of the training. It was mm. just because it's, it's basic training. It's exactly right. that. Here's how to march. Here's how to, you sat through a lot of PowerPoints. You sit through a lot of PowerPoints wow. about the weapons before you ever even touch one. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have to take them apart. 
put them back together. We go out to the range, fire at some targets, which is pretty cool. But a lot of it's very pedantic and very just that basic. Mm. It's just exposure to different aspects of mm-hmm. military life mm-hmm. is what it is. You got to know how to salute, when to salute, who to salute. You got to know how to talk to different non-commissioned officers. That's a big part of your training. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, uh, running, push-ups, pull-ups. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Uh, obstacle courses, the gas. Oh gosh, the well, here, here's a good one. <laughs> the gas chamber no. is no. awful. And at our um, at our graduation, there's an audience in this big auditorium, and there's um, a big screen where they play this video. We're like, oh, cool, a video, and like, like cool metal music playing, and it's us climbing ropes and marching, and, and the families get to see like, oh, here's a mashup of the last few months, mm-hmm. and. Uh, then they show the gas chamber and everybody's in gas mask and um, they take them off. And guess who it is? It's Seth, it's Seth. on a big old screen. Wow. Snot, mucus, red face, mm-hmm. coughing, about to vomit, standing in a gas chamber in front of a huge audience on a big yeah. old movie <laughs> screen. Wow. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's great. I'm, uh, yeah, the gas chamber is probably my least favorite part of the I'm whole sure thing, so really. Wrong. It's <laughs> really terrible. I don't even really understand the... The purpose? Yeah. Like, you go in with your mask on mm-hmm. to show that you know how to use it. But I don't understand why they are forced to take, take it, off it off before you Take it off and suffer. Like, <laughs> yeah. what in the it's world? terrible. Well, Supposedly it's harmless, but it hurts really bad. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I, th- I think, yeah, it's supposed to, yeah, it's for nerve gas. And, yes, mm-hmm. so they use whatever stuff that's They use it for, like, prison benign. riots and stuff. Yeah, wow. more benign. But, yeah, it's still... Yeah, you, I mean, you automat- you become an automaton under pressure. Mm-hmm. And, like, back to your question, I did feel pretty accomplished. Like, I definitely felt like it's the craziest thing I'd done so far. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after all the ruck marches, you know, 20 mm-hmm. Ks with 40 pounds on your back or wow. whatever it weighed. Yeah. And we had to do three hills during that called Misery, Agony, and Heartache. Mm-hmm. Um, agony's the worst. It's practically straight up. Wow. Um, I my knee went out, but I somehow went numb and kept going. Mm-hmm. Uh, ended up on profile for a while and didn't have to do anything when I first got to my unit. What's I profile? Uh, medical profile means you there are mm-hmm. certain activities you can't do, okay. and you keep that card on you. So if yeah. somebody, if sergeant's like, all right, do this, you can pull out your card like I'm on profile because of my knee, and he sees that. So that's all that means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was on profile for a few weeks with itibial band syndrome. Mm-hmm. So, which... It's really painful if anybody's ever had it. Yep. <laughs> so you graduated, and then you saw your your brother uh, mm-hmm. before being uh, deployed to Kansas. Uh, yeah, I was. Well, no, we met up in Kansas. Met up in we're, Kansas. We were both at Fort Riley, and then that's where um, some other things. Uh, you know, I kind of went back to the parting phase because that's what privates do when they get out of basic mm. and oh. you got freedom and you got a sign-on bonus ah. and there are strip clubs and bars everywhere wow. and we were buying rounds and throwing money around a little bit going to the mall and buying nice clothes to wear out to the club and i was mm. like hey try trying to live like this semi-lavish lifestyle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and with that, like I had said, came a lot of drinkings, and that was the beginning of mental health problems for me mm-hmm. involving alcohol because I started getting, you know, I'd already had some kind of like anger issues mm-hmm. um, as a child, and that was really bringing it out of me. Anger and depression were two things I felt a lot during the training because the training stressful and the way I dealt with it, you know, being away from home, being in the middle of nowhere, Kansas was, you know, yes. alcohol. Yeah. 
I'm sure you were not the. It's the culture, and uh, oh, I'm sure yeah. other guys were. Oh, you, you'll catch issues. hell if you can't drink straight whiskey or something like that. It's mm. it's. It, you think peer pressure in high school is bad at yeah. parties? Like this is like you know yeah. a legit t- attack on your manhood and capability as a soldier uh, if you can't keep up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're clowned on, so wow. to speak for if, you know, you got, when somebody hands you a straight whiskey, you drink it. You wow. don't put creamer in your coffee either. No sugar or cream or anything. Mm-hmm. That's foo-foo. That's what they say. Black coffee. Yeah. Wow. You drink your coffee straight. Wow. Manly stuff. <laughs> so when, how was your depression besides anger? How was your depression manifesting back then? It's like an overwhelming sadness that came, and I didn't know if it was just being away from home, if I right. started second-guessing my decision, right. um, you know, and I, I it, we all know alcohol is just going to cause depression. Mm-hmm. Like, that's right. It's just, it's just, that's how it is. I'd wake up hungover, and, and we, we'd done some ruck marches hungover as well and some runs that were, yes. oh, gosh, we laugh about it now, but it was just awful. Yeah. I don't know how I got through it. Yeah. Young, young, and and young we boy. know in our 30s now, it's a lot different right. <laughs> than hurts, when you're in your early more. 20s. Yeah. So, so you eventually were deployed? Yeah. Um, we were deployed to Iraq in um, October 2008. I was actually pinned sergeant uh, the weekend before that. Mm-hmm. So I took over a squad and became a sergeant four days before deployment i didn't have any actual training as an nco before combat wow i went right into it as a squad leader how big is the squad i think that was let's see there 11 of us 12 yeah yeah total would be the section sergeant myself and then um two drivers two gunners and a dismount and so i think there yeah nine wow i think is what i just counted there so a squad's like a third of three, three in a platoon, roughly. Mm-hmm. There's four squads and then a sniper attached. We had a sniper attachment because we were a special reconnaissance team. So. Ah, yes. Mm. So, yeah. How you you hopped on a plane there in, from Kansas straight over to uh, the Middle East? Mm, we went to Ireland, where I paid thirty dollars for some eggs <coughs> at the <Okay>. airport, uh-huh. <laughs> and we had assault rifles, so we didn't get to really go anywhere. Wow. Uh, so we hung out at the airport there, and then went to Kuwait for additional training. That's the training training. Uh, when you go to Kuwait, uh, we had quite a bit of range time. We did, you know, they had mock uh, combat, um, urban combat areas where, you know, you go through your room clearing. And this is like, okay, this is your the last thing. This tops off everything. Right. We're going to go over searching people, searching houses. We're going to go out to the range. We're going to go over weapons. Right. We're going to go over, there's drills. They had a Humvee attached to a thing that would actually flip it over. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like a carnival ride almost. Mm-hmm. And when it flips over, you got to do your drills on how to get out and pull the gunner down with you and roll. And, you know, there was rollover drills is what they call them. Wow. Yeah. And we kind of made fun of those because some of the training is just silly. There's like, mm-hmm. remember, if you if you roll over, the driver will yell, roll over, roll over, roll over three times. Then you will secure the. And we're all sitting here <laughs> with our notebooks out, not even writing anything, looking at each other like. Has this guy ever been in a car accident before? Right, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think that's going to... We're going to wait for the yeah. third announcement. <laughs> Basically, those are the fundamentals and good luck applying yeah. them. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. You know, so, but luckily we never rolled over any vehicles, I don't think, in Iraq. Hmm. So this was the U.S. base in Iraq then? It was, it was... Mm, yeah, this was at... Oh, what's the name of the camp? Um, I forgot the name of the camp. Right. But it, it's left from uh, early uh, Desert Storm days. Gotcha. You know, we set up a base there, and it's it's still there to this day. I said Iraq, but uh, Kuwait. So it was, Kuwait, it was no. uh, yeah, it was uh, no, like we were right near the border. Oh, I gotcha. Explosions at night. Right. 
Yeah. So. <clears throat> how how did that feel to not uh, to hear explosions and not be in the thick of it yet? But your first explosions that were really in. I just, real to time. be honest, personally, I was I. I, it's weird how I felt like I should be nervous, but I wasn't. Mm. I just felt like I was going to be okay no matter what. And I, mm. I definitely just the sound and the smells, like, you know, all that from range time to combat, like it has a smell mm-hmm. of the guns burning mm-hmm. off all that primer and the explosions and the sounds and the vibrations. It becomes a part of your job. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of numb to it in a way. Mm. Uh, you got to think to yourself when you actually get there, oh, that's the bad, that's a real explosion. Right. That's not like the special effects people in camp uh, in the Mojave Desert in Cape yeah. Irwin where you go there to train and they have a special effects people that do explosions for yeah. you in your training. But so, yeah, yeah it was, I, like I said, I was pretty numb to it. And I was like, why am I not nervous? Is that weird? I just had this feeling like I was going to be okay. Do you think some of your training kind of inured you to, I mean, you'd been under stress for such a long time and kind of, did it, did it kind of soften the blow in some ways or turn down your sensitivity to feeling as anxious and nervous in a situation where maybe you would have previously? Oh yeah. You got to think if I went straight from like the skater days of having pizza with Nate, if me and him went through that, that straight to Kuwait, I know you'd probably curl up in a ball. I don't know. And and freak out. You'd probably freeze. In fact, some people do that even after the training, but the training, yeah, that's definitely, you know, two years of thinking about it, having it hung over your head and Mm -hmm. and sitting through everything from cultural awareness to classes, classes, to actual range time and field time training, to talking to NCOs and officers that had been there, done that, and mm. telling stories, because that's the best, probably the best training you're going to get is just when your squad leaders have been there, and he's like, talking about right. it, yeah. okay, here's the training, here's what we're going to go through, and yeah. then I'll tell you how we actually applied it when okay. we were on wow. right. yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, so I think that definitely, uh, obviously, the training does its job sure. just to prepare you, at least mentally, because the anxious side, uh, the anxiety is just, it's we're finally here. It was yeah. almost like, you know, the first few months, you're like, are we going to deploy? I'm mm-hmm. nervous. Where are we going to go? There's rumors we're going to Afghanistan. There's rumors. Right. There's rumors that actually our first rumors were going to, to Crete, which is where Saddam mm-hmm. grew mm-hmm. up in northern Iraq. And, you know, and they're never true. Uh, you mm-hmm. find out when they say to call home and tell your families, you know that they're being serious. So one day mm-hmm. um, the platoon sergeant came out and said, we're going to Mamadi, Iraq. We'll be leaving and uh, we're going to start packing our stuff up in August. Um, and we're like, okay. Yeah. And he goes, go ahead. And when you leave here, go ahead and call home. And everybody goes, wow. Like, wow. Yeah, we got the, real. we got, we yeah, got the, we word. got the call. the, the call to call home yeah. and let everyone know. So we're like, wow, wow that's crazy. Yeah. So. The, the, uh, separately, uh, some of the first astronauts, astronauts, because they didn't know what they were going to face. They were so trained that they said that actually launching and stuff was kind of, was kind of a letdown compared to their training. And because it does. It does uh, uh, steal you against uh, some hardships and stuff like that. So they do. I mean, it's effective. That's why they keep doing it. Uh, that type of training. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get uh, deployed into active uh, combat? How do we deploy? Yeah. Did, you, did you drive over the border or you fly in? Oh, um, <laughs> wow. You travel. You do a lot in those few days. When mm-hmm. when we leave Kuwait, uh, oof, we got on a. Um, I believe it. We got on a C seventeen, mm-hmm. or was it a C one thirty? Um, but we get on this little cargo ship where we're sitting, you know, on the side you've seen with the big mm-hmm. nets yeah. and, and you're all lined yeah. up against the side and, and it's probably the roughest flight you'll ever take really hot. They have these bars above you that spray mist down. Mm. Um, 
and we're just sitting there and you can't really you can barely hear each other because it's just loud mm-hmm. you know there's the whole time you're flying and you can talk to people in your immediate area mm-hmm. and how they land is they shut the engine off and it falls out of the sky Jeez, and that is quite an experience <laughs> and then wow. they, they do what's called a combat landing i don't know you'll have to talk to the air force about that one but they we got there we went to uh we were in high salome in uh which is another part of kuwait where we no that's where we flew out of and then we landed and we were in saddam's old airfield Hmm. which is southwest of baghdad so we're near camp liberty and camp striker um and there's like these bombed out, almost pyramid looking buildings that mm-hmm. used to be bunkers that were destroyed during Desert Storm that you can still go inside of. Mm-hmm. And we we're stuck there for an entire day on this airfield. And there's nothing to do. Guys would just be playing, playing yeah. cards, betting cigarettes and stuff like that. And um, there's no toilet paper in the uh, the uh, porta johns that they put outside for us. Mm-hmm. So um, you take your knife and cut your sleeve off. And if oh, you saw man. a guy walking around with his sleeve, sleeve off, you know, he, he had to go that wow. day. So every once in a while, you see somebody walking by with their sleeve missing because <laughs> that, that was your toilet has, paper. Yeah, I don't think some, we've seen that in many movies. Yeah, uh, some guys have both sleeves cut off and like he's either being he's nice regular. to a friend or he uh, he maybe had a big breakfast. Or <laughs> so, so that was, uh, yeah, it's very, you do a lot of traveling. You're not even sure where you're at. It's just go, 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 grab your duffel bags. And then from that airfield, we got on a Schnook. Those are the helicopters with the oh, big, yeah. the two Double big, um, two rotors, two yeah. rotors. And that flew us to Camp St. Michael's, better known as FOB Mamadia. FOB, F-O-B, is a forward operating base. Mm-hmm. It's a little camp. So it's where Striker, Liberty, or big bases, this would be a forward deployed. Mm-hmm. You're more out into the ish, mm-hmm. so to say, mm-hmm. or so to speak. So that was where we're at, camp, uh, Mamadia, which is... Uh, Oh, 20 miles south of Baghdad, maybe? Something like that? You have not run into locals yet or anybody? You have not run um, into? We have. We, I mean, at, Kuwait in Kuwait, or, yeah. Right. Like all the people that clean and serve the food and the sure. contractors. You see people from all over the world. Uh, we're next to the Australian Army. Wow. Ah. Uh, they really do say cheers. They say cheers is how they say hello and goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just big, strong Men, mm-hmm. <laughs> men. They yeah. were probably like twelve too. They were like in Australia, you're a man when you're like twelve. That's why wow. Silverchair came out when they were fifteen years old. Mm-hmm. That's a metal band from back in the day. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but you know, and you, we we saw people from all over the world so far. But as far as local locals, like going through a town and to a village, yes. yeah. And, and yeah, no, we hadn't seen any of them just yet and the and cultural awareness training is what kind of cultural awareness stuff that they train you oh basic phrases to what's considered mm-hmm. very impolite um things you you know just mm-hmm. things about their culture that you're just not going to know of that you need to be sensitive to because gotcha. you're representing the united states army we're not there like just mowing things down like we're invading or right. anything we're trying to at this time, we started more of like the uh, winning hearts and minds is what mm. they called it. So, you know, there's times we'd go out and we've risked our lives driving down streets where bombs could be hidden to take uh, anything from medical supplies to school supplies to mm-hmm. water to these mm-hmm. uh, places. And you wow. got to be careful in some places. Um, they tell us, you know, if you hand out water to children and the wrong person sees it, they, you know, that child could be murdered for accepting a gift from an American. So you gotta be, you gotta be, that's part of the awareness knowing which part of Iraq you're in. Is this, is this a place where they, 
you know, is this more Sunni where they, you know, tend to like us a little more? Is this mm. more Shiite area where they're a little more fascist, a little more American, we'll just say anti-American mm-hmm. for lack of a better mm. term, where they flip you off and throw rocks at your vehicle, uh, burn American flags, things like that. Wow. Um, and I'll tell you something when it comes to Shiites and Sunnis. Okay. So Sunnis, um, typically were more on our side mm-hmm. and that's like your Southern region. And then you go up north, and if correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody's listening, um, that would be more of a Shiite area. And they were very like, they hated us. You're the they enemy. Ha- they hated us, and they hated Sunnis. Mm. Mm-hmm. So then Ashura came in February. This is a holiday, and this is the first time they were allowed to celebrate it since Saddam had been taken out of power. And what they do is they march down the big highway that separates, mm-hmm. you know, Iraq, and goes all the way down and from like Mosul in that area through Baghdad and then down south. Mm. And uh, they walk this entire highway, just thousands, millions of people just marching and they have flags and signs and and, and they chant and they break things. And, and these are all Shiites going down to a temple to pray. It's like a little journey and then they walk back. Pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, uh-huh. in a way, like a big pilgrimage, but everybody's going and uh, they would also, to represent the torture of um, a certain prophet, they would cut themselves with razors and be covered in blood. And they'd also whip themselves wow. and they'd be covered in welts as well. Mm-hmm. And then during the day, um, it was moderately calm. You might get, have a few things thrown at you because they did not like us at all. Mm-hmm. But at night, it'd get a little crazy. People would bang on windows and even it was more like a riot almost. And you'd see where things were being set on fire. Wow. And, more rocks and trash being thrown and stuff like that. And uh, it's crazy because our job during this time was to protect the those that hated us from being attacked by those who were on our side. Wow. So that puts us in like a really yeah. odd position. Right. Wow. And, and to observe this, uh, our area was in an abandoned building in a small little town called Lutafia. Mm-hmm. which was where they'd set up a patrol base, the Iraqis did. So we worked really close with an Iraqi uh, plat- uh, company down there. Wow. And we stayed in a building on cots in yeah, probably the worst part of the deployment as far as living conditions go is just just truly awful. We are living off MREs. Um, and we actually brought a weight bench <laughs> and set up a wow. weight room. <laughs> so we did that. And, oh, and they had... Um, this is crazy. They had holes in the ground because hmm. we all know what they do. Yeah. You know, that's where they go. And uh, it's right out in the open. There's a line of holes and they put porcelain in the holes into the dirt. So hmm. when they say they crap in holes, these aren't just holes they dig real quick, like an animal. Yeah. These are nice holes. Yeah. So we're like, oh, this is ridiculous. So one of our snipers, very ingenuitive guy, got a metal chair frame that didn't have any pads okay. on it and zip tied a toilet seat to it and put it over wow, <laughs> over the go. hole so in the Iraq. Iraqi soldiers thought that was the funniest thing <laughs> to sit in a chair with a hole in it and then do your business oh instead goodness. of just squatting. Because, wow. you know, you're on a different side of the world. Yeah. More cultural awareness. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't, and they just thought that was uh, hilarious. But one more thing about assurance, like the Shiites really, um, they're very passionate. And one of my job when we left Mamadia to head to Lutafia, anytime we left, what my job was, was, I was in the lieutenant's truck and we'd go out and block the highway and I'd point a 50 cal down the road so everybody could come around behind me and then they'd drive and then we'd follow them in the rear. Mm -hmm. We'd pick Mm -hmm. up the rear and then we'd go. When I did that, I had to, instead of just watching traffic, now I have to block a 
sacred holiday being celebrated by thousands oh. of people. And I pulled up and blocked them with my machine gun. And they didn't like that. And they weren't scared at all. They were yelling something in Arabic, which basically daring me to shoot them. Dude had his arms out and was right up in front of my gun, like, go ahead. And I was like, these, these people, uh, Yep. They're not messing around. This mm-hmm. is this is different scary. Purpose, <laughs> they they are ready to die. Right, it's crazy. But um, luckily there wasn't anything too crazy that happened that particular week. It's uh four days, four or five days. We were mm-hmm. we we're living in Lutafia, and then they finally gave us the okay to pack our stuff and go back. And we never thought we'd want to see Fah Mamadia so bad <laughs> in our lives. Yeah, I'm sure. We're like, well, this place is pretty nice compared to that building. Yeah. So that was cool to get out of that. How long were you in Iraq total, or you did several deployments? Uh, just one year, um, basically 10 months in Iraq, bookended by a month in Kuwait mm-hmm. on each side. Both sides, so, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, um, so how did, how did it go? What, what happened uh, while you were there? Uh, 10 months? The 10 months? Oh, uh, I mean, combat, like just patrols. Days, mm-hmm. nights. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's a that's a pretty <laughs> big a, question. What happened yeah, while you were there? A lot, right. a lot, a lot. Yeah, quite a few explosions. I've woke up to a lot of that. Right. And so um, we were actually one night, one morning. Me and my buddy Sean, who is an excellent attorney, and just put a really horrible murder in prison. So hats off to Sean. He's doing a great job. But he was a sergeant also at the time we shared a, we went from tents. We actually moved to a camp striker where we lived in choose C H U something housing unit, Mm. compact housing unit or something like that. And then, um, which is just two beds and two lockers and you each, you know, two guys to each one. They're pretty mm-hmm. small, about the size of this. Still a room. tent, though, essentially? Uh, a little trailer kind okay, of thing. Okay, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then we have shower trailers and big concrete walls mm-hmm. to protect us. And we live next to an airfield that had helicopters flying in constantly. Wow. So mm-hmm. that's another thing. When I got home, it was weird. I couldn't sleep at night because it's too so quiet. quiet. Yeah, it felt yeah, weird. Absolutely. I almost wanted to get like a CD of helicopter noise to wow. play or something at the yeah. time. Sometimes. I say CD because it was 2009. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the way back oh, in yeah. 2009. CDs. CDs. Yeah. So, um, so, so during your deployment, did, um, like, how was your mental health like throughout it? Um, up and down, uh, really down, just there's anxiety and, um, there's definitely anger issues, and that was seen throughout the platoon. Mm-hmm. You could definitely see guys change. Yeah. That's definitely, um, I don't know all the, the right That's terminology right. for it, but there's definitely, I was going to tell you that day me and Sean were sitting in that chew, and all of a sudden it started shaking like an earthquake. Mm. And then we went to Chow, and we saw on the news, they had national news on there that a uh, n- nearby us outside the FOB or outside camp, um, in Baghdad, a car bomb had gone off and leveled oh. like an entire block of buildings. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's just things like that every once in a while that mm-hmm. would yeah. keep you awake. And, and, um, back to your question, uh, like I said, you'd see a lot of changes in guys and, and towards the end we had fights break out, mm-hmm. you know, the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't say the camaraderie was necessarily breaking down, but it was definitely, a. We are tired of being around each other. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, you're dealing with stress and you're seeing the same person all the time. You eventually just, you know, it doesn't take much 
for somebody to set you off and mm-hmm. and and we were breaking up fights uh guys you could tell weren't sleeping very well um i'm not gonna get into too much detail about mm-hmm. this particular private buy to take his weapon from him mm. uh i actually took him to the gym let him beat the hell out of the heavy bag with my glove my kickboxing gloves on and and because uh you know he had some problems back home yeah mm. and uh you know is mental health is that your was that your job as a sergeant or was it uh, or did, did you have help one of your jobs who yeah. do your many jobs you see the thing is it is but you don't get a ton of training in that area mm. as far as exactly how to mentor soldiers during that time you mm-hmm. do have to look out for a certain thing they told me you know you did the right thing you took his weapon and you went to right to the platoon sergeant you found mm-hmm. a you know a backup driver because we didn't want him on patrol mm-hmm. and you know you know you can tell guys you can tell me you can go talk to the chaplain like mm-hmm. you just got to remind them of their resources mm-hmm. and you know keep an eye on them and i'd tell guys we'd go do our rounds You'd bring your squad in, like, is everybody calling home? When was the last time you called home? When was mm. the last, is everything okay between you and the wife? Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. You know, let me know if there's anything, you know, going on. Because, you know, you got to, I don't know, you got to, I'd hate to say you got to, like, just focus through and focus on your job. Because at that point, you're a soldier. And mental health is important, but, you know. It's, uh, I mean, Compared to coming back to the United States, and that's what you're going to lead us to, hopefully, about back in the United States, eventually, mental health. I mean, I, I don't think the typical mom and dad or, or, or American knows when when people are having a hard time and mental health uh, deployed uh, for whatever reason, alcohol, whatever, or bombs, that, that it's oftentimes somebody like you, a sergeant and, 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 a, and a pastor, uh, that's that's the extent of it out, out, out in the front lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, uh, when we returned home, a big part of adapting was the culture shock. And it was so weird. Like we finally got to pack up and come home and you come home and it feels like you've been gone forever. Yeah. It starts to feel like it went by fast, but you know, people's hair differently. Mm -hmm. They're driving different cars. Mm -hmm. Kids are talking that could barely talk before like it's mm. just it's very different and then of course you know you're back you're you got the green grass you can walk on and and you're by yourself sometimes you're not you're never by yourself mm-hmm. over there right. you always you always have your weapon you always have your guys uh we controlled traffic when we were there mm-hmm. but when you're stuck like that was the road rage was a huge problem for me mm. and then of course uh i went back to my friend alcohol for comfort Hmm. Which wasn't a good idea. <laughs> Whenever you return back to the United States, do you do you do you decompress somewhere in Europe or somewhere, or do you um, anything before you come back to and you come back to where Springfield, uh, right back to Springfield? Oh no, we or? went right. We went back to Fort Riley, and then we got a like a four day pass mm. to go home. Mm-hmm. And you have your post deployment leave. It's not right away, but mm-hmm. you know because you got a lot of stuff to do when mm-hmm. you get back. You got. Um, you got to go through customs and then you got to fly all the way back and then you go and you got to get all your equipment, you know, turned back in. You got to undo everything you did before you left. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, and there's just, uh, I could go on and on, but there's just a lot of work that goes back in there. There's paperwork. You, you got to see a counselor. Mm-hmm. You got to uh, wait in line to go in and, and have, you know, a counselor basically sit and read from a card, but, you know, um, and, and just ask you certain questions. To screen um, you for PTSD? Yeah, yeah you're being screened for, uh, I guess, PTSD, mm-hmm. just anything, yeah. really, any kind of problem they might like, see. They'll ask you questions about, did you discharge your weapon? Have mm-hmm. you been, you know, were you near any dead bodies? Mm. Um, you know, stuff like that. So, 
Yeah, I remember that. They just drill you with a lot of questions and next and then bring the next person. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you're trying to get out of there as fast as humanly mm-hmm. possible rather than rack your brain for everything you could possibly explain and say yes to, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're like, I just want to get out of here yeah. as soon as possible. So sure. Whatever whatever answer you want to hear yeah, gets exactly. me out of here is kind of it, especially when you wait in line forever and you're like hungry mm, yeah. and you just got home and everything. So yeah. so after you do all that, you get your family time and then eventually you get your leave. And um, it, was a, it was a hard, hard time to uh, decompress. I had a year left in the Army and I really didn't want to do it. I mm-hmm. didn't want to do that last year. I just wanted to go home. And I, mm-hmm. again... Alcohol became a thing, um, anger issues. I had my brother and our uh, really close friend, a mutual best friend, you can say, uh, approach me and say that I, I should look into getting help, that I had changed. I mm. was showing some signs, mainly people were talking about the anger problems, mm-hmm. uh, the depression I managed to bottle up pretty, pretty well. Um, and then after that, you know, I... I after that year, I was back in uh, back in Jacksonville, Illinois, for a little while at my parents' house, staying in their guest room, getting ready to getting ready to go to community college. Mm. It's just a very very weird transition to be a sergeant in on this kind of right. reconnaissance team that served this time in Iraq. And it's kind of and a crazy full circle, right? Yeah. It was crazy. It's like I was yeah. right back at that Pizza Hut, and yeah, <laughs> and, right. and, you know, and is like I said, it was really weird being alone and trouble sleeping, weird, you know, you're laying in bed at night, uh, you're living, reliving scenarios in your head. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to reach out to somebody. You don't know what to say. I was going to say, you because this is the VA at this time, at this point, or somebody else, uh, just I, friends and family? Uh, actually, shout out to Sergeant Jimmy Duncan, a uh, Vietnam vet, who Come started on, uh, uh, Vet to Vet. Mm-hmm. Um, Vet to Vet is in Illinois, in my hometown, and it's, mm. it's a veterans helping veterans organization. Cool. And uh, he was, like I said, a Vietnam vet, and mm. he brought in all the young veterans. And it's like, I want to see you guys come home better than how we had it. Mm. It wasn't pretty when we came home, and you guys need better, you know, from the VA just down to how you're treated socially. Like, mm-hmm. yes, you know. Uh, so Jimmy, uh, he's a big influence and big help during that time, and I met him before. Uh, I met him before I shipped out, so we'd already known each other. So it was it was cool. Um, it's just cool being in a room. Like we'd go to meetings. We had meetings every Thursday night, and you're in this room. It's just different generations. You had Vietnam all the way down to uh, guys my age, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we'd hang out and drink some beers and and we'd talk. And and it was a closed door. It's like you guys were here, and anybody can say anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge help too. Just seeing yeah. other guys open up mm-hmm. and and and. Uh, it took me a very, very long time to really talk. Me and Jim actually had a lot of private conversations because I'm not real big. I'm not an emotional person. I, I, I have problems sometimes opening up. And, um, you know, Jim was there for me. Um, he's the first person I told when uh, Sergeant Benton, my buddy Jason, he was in our platoon. And I got a call. I'd been trying to get a hold of him because I knew he wasn't doing well. And then I got a call uh, in July 17th of 2012 that he had committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And that was really rough. That hit the platoon, even though we weren't a platoon anymore. Uh, we still all kept in touch. And, you know, yeah. that hit us really, really hard to see somebody like Jason, like such a good soldier and mm-hmm. sniper and leader and ever, all these things, good father to his stepdaughter, uh, mm-hmm. really just tough as nails to see him, you know, 
lose that battle, so yeah. to speak, was pretty eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kicked myself, but I, I did everything I, I thought I could. Yes. Of I, course. I called and didn't get a, you know, I called other people to confirm he still had the same phone number. I sent him messages on Facebook and everything saying, yeah. you know, why don't you come stay with me for a while? And, and uh, just, there's, I couldn't do anything from eight hours away from where he was living yes. <laughs> except that. So Even people next to him sometimes you know, can't reach Mm-hmm. can't reach with, uh, into his brain and help him out. You know? So that was a huge eye-opener for all of us. In what way? What do you mean by that? Uh, well, I don't know eye-opener as much as a shock. You know, just saying a shockwave through us. Like Jason, of all people, mm-hmm. like did that. I, I just, and then, you know, our buddy Luna and our platoon's the one he was, he was, I found out he was staying with. And he wasn't supposed to have a gun, but he found one. Mm-hmm. He had it hidden somewhere. And he went in and found him in his bedroom. So mm-hmm. Luna's the one that found too. him. Yeah. And do you think? Do you think you guys were maybe? You kept saying eye opening. I was thinking maybe your eyes were open to like the the this trauma that you mm-hmm. all experienced together. Yeah. Really yeah. had real effects. Yeah, it, it became a little more real. That yeah, yeah maybe maybe we're not okay. Mm. You know, maybe maybe uh, all of us need to keep in contact more. Seek help. Be more open. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want this to happen again. Right. Uh, and then it did a few months ago. Uh, our buddy Edward Riviello from Long Island. Of course, if your name's Eddie Riviello, hey. you can't be from anywhere but Long Island, you know. New York. Mm. Uh, great guy. Um, two deployments. And I found out he committed suicide. It was earlier. Mm. It was like less than a year ago. Oh. Um, so it's just tough when you think it's over. And then yeah. he wasn't in our platoon, but he was in our unit. And we knew him pretty well. So and that's, then, that's from like 2008 to just a year ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So it had three total suicides. Um, I didn't know the other guy. He was from, I believe, Bravo Company. Wow. But uh, all in your unit. Yeah, three we we got the wow. call as on as Thanksgiving, and my squad leader, Sergeant Hernandez, called me, and it's like, hey. We don't have to report in or anything, but they do want us to know that one of uh, the guys from the unit did kill himself. Is is there anything we we're going to have soldiers? We're going to you know we're going to have a strong military in the United States. Is there anything to help people who are going to go into the military, going to serve? Is there anything to help before, during, after that you would like to see? You think that might have helped? Would could help? Going in. I'd say do your research and make sure it's exactly what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't try to ever talk anybody out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use my experience to tell anybody to discourage anybody mm-hmm. or try to scare them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to encourage them because it does open. I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, people say, do you miss the army? I'm like, I miss those guys. I wouldn't do it again unless it was with them. Right. I would do, I would go, I would leave today. I'd get a bag and go to Iraq or Afghanistan or anywhere the, Anywhere they wanted to send me, regardless with of what's going on. If yeah. I was with those guys, I don't care how awful it is, mm-hmm. I'm going. Because I've already been there and did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But uh, other people, um, going in, I'd say just make sure it's what you want to do. But I don't want to scare anybody away. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd be better at just helping them adjust to uh, life coming home. Because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, don't reach for alcohol. <laughs> That's a hard one. We've talked it? about this on the yeah. show, and I've, I've mentioned it a few different times now. Um, but yeah, uh, I that was my friend mm-hmm. for a while when I felt I had nobody, and it even led to uh, me coming close to being, you know, one of the guys that 
everybody's going to be getting a call about. Because I got <clears> so <throat> bad. Um, there was one time where life was just throwing so many curveballs at me and I couldn't do it anymore. And I was just having so many problems mentally and financially and just mm-hmm. nothing was working. And I kind of made that decision too. Mm-hmm. And I called my mom and I don't even know if I really realized what I was doing, but I did call her and it, it was basically to say sorry and say mm-hmm. goodbye. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that day, 2000, it was in summer of 2014. My mom actually had to talk me out of killing mm-hmm. myself over the phone, mm-hmm. which, uh, I will say she did a great job at, you know, staying calm and really yeah. just talking. And uh, yes, it just, you know, she said, think about this, think about that. Yeah. And, you know, after that conversation, um, life was still pretty rough. It took a while, you know, for me to walk away from some of the things that were uh, some of the self-inflicted punishment, namely alcohol. Yeah. Again, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to turn this into a whole uh, no, soldiers and alcohol totally thing. Real. But that's the thing, because soldiers, like we talked about earlier, um, Mm-hmm. There, it's it's a big part of uh, being a soldier. It was, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, did you have to change anything about like the people you hung out with or the places that you went to? I mean, I, like socially and culturally, it's almost inescapable. But I, how did you manage to stop drinking? Well, actually, the funny thing is, when I first came back, I hated going to bars and clubs and, and concerts. I did not like crowds. Sure, mm-hmm. I didn't like the noise. I didn't like people yeah. bumping me. I didn't like right. not. I didn't like not having a weapon on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was like, somebody here has a weapon, and I had a weapon. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like you know, it's that training. It's almost robotic. Yeah, you know. That's right. And then, but um, back to your question, uh, it was during the pandemic when I finally quit. So it was a little easier in that aspect because there weren't really bars, but I'd really decided um, that it's just best to walk away. And I didn't have any problems like any like, um, mm. what's the word I'm looking for? Withdrawals. Withdrawals, yeah, Withdrawals. stuff like that. I didn't have any problems like that. I actually felt better and better and better. Yeah. And the more, the better I felt, the more I wanted to just stay away from it. How long was it before you start feeling? Was it a few hours or a few hours after you stopped or is it a month later or? What do you mean? I thought you were feeling better. When did you start feeling better? And what was it that you felt better about? I felt good about the decision because I, I somehow knew that this time it was going to take. Mm-hmm. I'd said it before, you know, when you wake up hungover, sure. like, oh, I'm done. But right. this time I was like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I got to be done. It's it's killing me. I got to go away. I'm behind schedule. It's everything I want to do with mm-hmm. my life. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I thought to myself, the only problems I have are alcohol related. Like, mm-hmm. like mental health, financial health, physical health. I mm-hmm. was going to the gym very much. And I replaced that with, you know, I've done some meditating, mm-hmm. a lot of exercising, mm-hmm. getting better mm-hmm. sleep. And I encourage people to do these things. Yeah. Um, and then uh, sensory deprivation therapy, as many people know, is floating. Mm-hmm. I actually got a part-time job at a float clinic and learned a lot about that. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. And so I started floating there and getting them good old theta waves going. <laughs> Because well, you have five brain waves. Even I don't know. I have to and look it, it up. <laughs> yeah, I believe, well, we had a, we, there was stuff we had to mm-hmm. uh, uh, study so, for customers right. when we answered their questions. We had to become neuroscientists all of a sudden. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. yeah it sh- like shuts down your alpha waves and starts producing theta mm-hmm. waves, which are produced while you're asleep. But mm. now you're they're being produced while you're awake, mm. and it's very relaxing and very. Uh, you know, it just takes all that stress out of you, and you just have this overwhelming feeling that things are going to be okay. And um, it's also good physically for, like, recovery if you work out. Uh, people have used it for addiction, PTSD, depression, anxiety. Um, people use it for joint pain, uh, just detox. So I, I strongly re- recommend people look into floating if you're looking for uh, something very ther- therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you try to quiet your brain, things that have been 
brewing inside mm-hmm. kind of come you, to the surface. You just but you can eradicate. Put, you can, you can you, push you, it away. Yeah, you shut off all the stimuli, mm-hmm. all of it, visual, audio, all the stuff we hear all the time from mm-hmm. car horns to door slamming, every little thing that interrupts us throughout the day. It's just gone, and it's just you. Nothing exists. You're in the dark floating in that water, mm-hmm. and you just at first you're like this is kind of weird. I don't mm-hmm. think it's working, mm-hmm. and after a while you're just like, oh, this is nice. I never mm-hmm. want to leave. I mean, that was probably like mm-hmm. one of your body's first real moments of, of rest and like very yeah. little stimulus since you were 18. You know, I mean, like ever, ever. Yeah, really. Because <laughs> even when you're laying in a mattress, you're mm-hmm. still putting some pressure on, on your joints in different right. areas sure. at, at some point. This is like the this is basically uh, as close as you can get to just floating and being nothing for mm-hmm. a while. Which is good. You should be. Yeah, I think everybody should spend an hour or two being nothing once mm-hmm. a week. Once a week, really, it's great. What some of the stuff you described, obviously, is uh, we know nowadays is just uh, your brain became hypersensitive to everything, mm-hmm. all the stimuli and everything else. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's from the trauma, and, and that's why it was hard to sleep, et cetera, and turn off your your your, your mind when everything's safer and quieter. And the, and people forget that that it takes sometimes professional help you can't just just can't wait it out and wait for right. for months and a few years for it to go away you need professional help to help kind of mm-hmm. desensitize you to that um, overactive uh, hypervigilance mm-hmm. yeah so that's like kind of the message like don't don't be afraid to reach out for help and and people know we know we don't have to harp on it too much or to know what's bad for us but mm-hmm. we reach for it anyways like yeah. people like when they're stressed out and they pull out a cigarette you're training your body that stress equals cigarette right, right. so you know that's right just try to a relief equals cigarette yeah. yeah now my only vice these days is those damn dr peppers <laughs> i'm really trying to get <laughs> off soda on those. soda's really bad yeah <laughs> you probably do a show about you could probably do a show about the mental health problems caused by uh, uh diet sodas and yeah. what they're finding out about that there's yeah and as we know that people reach for anything that's comforting and whatever whatever it is and i think that's part of what we have to do we can't tell people just to stop alcohol we have to trade something yeah. to help them because their anxiety is still there all the underlying stuff that they're dealing with that they're self-medicating for yeah i haven't had a cigarette since i was 30 and i still will want destroy yeah, little pieces of want, paper want or mess with hand. a pen or something to this day right. mm-hmm. but i still i don't I crave cigarettes they make me sick when i'm near them like i hate them yeah. so that's another thing Seven years smoke-free, three almost three years alcohol-free. Yeah. Congrats. And that's that's awesome enormous. Stuff, yeah. Well, thank you. And that's the story of the day me and Nate wanted to go get pizza. <laughs> Comes all around. Well, we appreciate what you've been able to, uh, number one, uh, serving our country, number mm-hmm. two, being able to come back and, and, and become healthier for yourself and for the people that you're helping support like us yeah. here with our podcast. Um, and uh, how's your brother? Uh, he's doing all right. He um, he installs cable. All right. And he's yeah. I wish he'd kind of. He doesn't drink though, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's good. He quit that too a while back, and I don't think it was any like big thing. He's kind of stopped liking. It. He used to love his Jack Daniels, but mm-hmm. he kind of mm-hmm. stopped doing that. I wish he'd do more to exercise and take care of his physical, mental health. But you know, he's stubborn. He's so stubborn. Mm-hmm. He's gonna smoke cigarettes and eat what he wants and just whatever. He's like, "Yeah, we're all gonna die someday, anyways. I'm gonna have fast food if I want." So I'm like, "All right, then, to each their own." I'm, well, that's the libertarian in me. That's right. Doesn't well, you're, doesn't want to. You're a good role model, and you're right. Even if you pay a therapist, they can't tell you what to do and for expect you to follow mm-hmm. through. So mm-hmm. all right. for you for being a good role model. Anything else that you think is important that that is part of your story, which I hopefully people recognize bits and pieces in them, mm-hmm. um, and know that things can be better if there are the the difficult parts that you described. 
Is there anything else that you think is important that you'd want some of your friends to have known or younger you to have known or heard? Mm. Yeah, I think you said it pretty well. Like, I just hope people pull uh, what they can from different, like we talked on the phone last night about how, you know, there's different uh, mental and even physical health uh, topics just throughout this story Mm -hmm. from basic training to combat to what it was like adapting back to civilian life. So if you're going to join the military, like I said, make sure it's what you want to do and do your research and proud of anybody that goes through with it. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, if you are a veteran that needs help, get it. There's resources out there. I can, I don't, I should, you know, we'll, we'll put some, I'll find some and we'll put some in the description for the podcast for sure. I don't have any links on me, but we'll, we'll do that. And, you know, use your resources. Please. You had a special. You. It was a volunteer. It was a volunteer that was uh, that. That was a big deal. I think that helped you out because it was not the VA. You didn't have to. Whenever you. Whenever you. You know. You were. Um, you came back. Um, you know. And you going through the mental health checklist that you just wanted to get out of that office because that's the stuff. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. people are faced with is this regimented stuff that uh, the military can tell Congress that we're doing taking care yeah. of our yeah. vets. Really blanket and, and, kind of. And it's not as effective yeah. as a friend. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, privacy mm-hmm. and uh, other 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 friends, other people that you befriended. That's yeah. an, I think that's enormous, enormous uh, lesson that it, we don't have to spend billions and billions of dollars and and the right. that sometimes that's all you need is somebody to be able to listen to sit down to repeatedly, not just right. once, not just a quickie, not just a quickie check check in, uh, but as you develop your sense of where you wanted to go and what you want to do with your life, that you had people there to help you out through the bumpy parts and stuff. So, yeah, you, know, you can always talk to a fellow vet yeah, yeah it doesn't matter point. what kind of health insurance you got you can always call a federal mm. fellow vet and talk yeah, to him so that's a good point yeah. thank you for saying that yeah. thank you well thank you thanks. it's been fun no thanks uh thanks for, sh- for sh- sharing a good part of your life large part of your life yeah. with us. absolutely thank i just want to commend you for your bravery sir for, well, I mean, for go like <laughs> for go for going in the first place i think the braver part is coming back and in, in and sticking around to to deal with the the aftermath yeah. and figure out who you want to be and what you want to do afterwards yeah. and i think that's an incredible role model and the definition of american hero man like i mean well, really, thank you yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I d- about. if i didn't do the things i should have done like if I'd never joined the military and then of course the second part of that is doing the things to take care of myself mentally and physically, then mm-hmm. I wouldn't own my own business and be yeah, healthy and absolutely. happy. And I don't know what I'd be doing, but it wouldn't be this. And right. I'm really happy that I'm here with you guys now. So that's Thanks awesome. Again. All right. So our guest today has been Seth Gabriel. Um, you can find him on Facebook at Seth Gabriel. Um, coming soon is going to be his new uh, website for Benton Park Media. He's the owner and founder of Benton Park Media Multimedia and Production and Marketing Company. And he produces this podcast and he is our friend. And Aww. thank you yeah, for yeah. sharing with us and hanging out today. No, thank you. It's been All fun, right. really. Guys, if you uh, if you have any questions or happy want to reach Day. out, yeah, happy Veterans Day. Uh, if you want to give us any feedback for the podcast or get a hold of us in any way, you can reach us at notyourdocpod at gmail.com. That's notyourdocpod at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye now. Thank you. This 
previous podcast represents my opinions and the opinions of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have.